Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 7th of April 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from John chapter 12 verses 20 to 36, and brings a message entitled, With Jesus on the Calvary Road, The Magnetism of the Cross. To what we've just been singing. We're turning to John's Gospel again to the same passage of Scripture that we read this morning. If this was an ordinary book, we might be tempted to say, I've read that before. Why am I reading it again this evening? But this is the living Word of God. And no matter how often we read it, no matter how familiar we are with any portion in it, God the Holy Spirit can say something new and something fresh. We began... A series this morning which we are following right up to Easter, simply entitled with Jesus on the Calvary Road. Let's begin in verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. The crowd that stood there and heard it said, that it had thundered, others said, an angel has spoken. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And we thank God for his word. I don't think you will disagree with me this evening when I say that the world has witnessed the rise of many men and women who because of their unique and commanding personalities have been able to inspire multitudes to follow them at all cost. This can be proved in the world of politics, in the world of sport, and even in the world of religion. But their power and influence diminishes with the passing of time. And the household names of yesterday 
are the unknown names of today. This is not so when it comes to Jesus Christ. His drawing power and mighty magnetism never cease to captivate the hearts of every generation. And after two millenniums, he's still drawing countless numbers of men and women and young people, boys and girls, to himself. Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. And even today, as we have been gathering in this house of worship, God has been adding to the church such as should be saved. Men and women, young people and boys and girls, from every creed, from every class, from every culture, every color, have heard and obeyed the effective call of the gospel. And today they are rejoicing in sins forgiven. Someone has said that the cross is still the powerful instrument that he is pleased to use to bring men and women to himself. One writer says, Truly the death of the cross and all its significance revealed in the light of Scripture and born in the hearts of all who believe by the power of the Holy Spirit possesses an attraction all over the wide world to civilized and savage, to learned and illiterate alike. And as we continue to walk with Jesus on the Calvary Road, listening to the insight he gives regarding the kind of death he should die, there are two matters that confront us right away. There is a very obvious one here, and we might call it the request of the Greeks. Sir, we would see Jesus. It's hard to tell what prompted this desire. Perhaps it was curiosity. They'd heard much about him, and they wanted to see him for themselves. They wanted to speak to him if that was possible, if they could get near enough. They wanted to speak to him about the claims he was making and the miracles he was performing. On the other hand, heart hunger may have compelled these searchers to seek out the Lord. Grecian art, music, and the philosophy of their day did not satisfy. It did not provide the bread that their souls were in need of. And it always left them empty and barren and looking for more. And so they were coming to him who alone was the bread of life. But notice the response that the Lord gives uh, to Andrew and Philip when he went and when they went and, and told them about this inquiry that was being made. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the Lord is teaching his disciples and his hearers something that some of the disciples hadn't fully grasped at this moment of time. You see, what you need to appreciate tonight is that among this little band of followers, there was the concept, there was the thought that maybe this was the Messiah 
that was going to come and destroy and overrule the Roman Empire and set them up to be political giants in the world in which they live. And Jesus has to teach them something that is going to blow their mind. Because the Lord is stressing here the absolute necessity of his death. Not only the necessity of his death, but the nature of his death. In other words, in order for them to live, he would have to die. That his life, that his teaching, that his miracles, that his parables would never save them. They had to learn something about the necessity and the nature of his death. Because it was only through his death that lifeless sinners would receive eternal life. And looking back on these incidents, and looking back on the cross from where we stand in time, we can sing heartily tonight that it's by his death and endless life that Jesus saves. But they hadn't come to the cross. The cross was future. The cross is behind us tonight. And the cross was the only way that the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, could be defeated and salvation provided for all who would believe and receive God's Son. And he tells his readers here that as the corn of grain or the corn of wheat, Jesus would fall into the ground and he would die. And what a rich, plentiful harvest he would produce. What a rich, plentiful harvest there has been. What a rich harvest is being gathered in even to this very day and will continue to be gathered in until the Lord himself comes again and the harvest is fully gathered in. You see, if he was to bless fallen man with salvation, then he must bleed. This morning we looked into the heart of the Lord Jesus as we heard him speak those words recorded in verse 27. Now is, or now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this hour. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And we tried to grasp the inner feelings of the heart of the Savior. We tried to see that it was a heart that was troubled. It was a heart that was tempted. It was a heart that was trusting. Jesus is speaking here of a coming hour. And then he talks to them again in this same, in this same context, not only of a coming hour, but of a competent hope. Jesus answered, now is the judgment come of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And immediately we're brought again to the cross. And immediately our focus is on the person of the cross. 
That is the Christ of the cross. We cannot help but note the repeated personal pronoun, I, which magnifies the person of the Lord Jesus and draws our attention to who he really is, namely the Christ of the cross, who is the most magnetic of all figures and forces. Someone has said that the word I is never out of place when it's used by Christ. And you find him often using this word in his teaching, I and I alone. I am he. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Before Abraham was, I am. When men use this word, it is often repulsive to listen to them because it often reveals their sinful self-centeredness. I will pull down my bars. I will build greater. I will say to my soul, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. It is the common language of the man without Christ and without God. It is the national anthem of the singer Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. It's the most popular song that has been asked for at a funeral service. What an awful song to be played at any funeral service. But it typifies the hidden depths of a heart that is depraved and without God. But with Christ, it is so different. Leaving his lips, it carried authority and dominion. And his words, along with his works, were mighty because of who and what he was. But I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men or people to myself. We know that Jesus did not die alone. We know from the gospel records that the two thieves were lifted up from the earth with Christ, but their blood had no saving power because of who and what they were. That the blood shed on the middle cross was the blood of the God-man, the sinless one. And it's because of the divinity of the blood that the death of Christ is effective in saving and cleansing all who come to him by faith, repenting of their sin. Well, you notice the Great and grave contrast in these verses tonight. On the one side, we have the prince of this world. The great usurper, the deceiver, the devil himself. The destroyer. And on the other side, we have the prince of life, the light of the world. One spells darkness and death, and the other spells light and life. One is characterized by deceit, and craft drawing sinners to an eternal hell. The other, through the cords of love, draws sinners to himself and ultimately to his eternal home. And the cross is his mighty instrument by which he brings us about. And so as we travel with Christ and the Calvary rule, we're reminded here of the person of the cross. Notice secondly here, these words remind us not only about the person on the cross, but the passion of the cross. When I am lifted up from the earth. Dr. Luke is the inspired writer of the Acts of the Apostles. And in his writing, at the very beginning, he says, after his suffering, and the word could be translated, after his passion, 
He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. It's the same word that is used for the word suffering. His last week on earth is often referred to as Passion Week. And so we pass here in our text from his person to his passion, from his deity to his death, from his character to his cross, from who he was to what he did. The phrase here lifted up is one that is used by John on several occasions and is always related to the cross of Jesus Christ, describing different aspects of the cross. When we think of the Savior being lifted up, we're reminded of the reason for the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up. You remember when Jesus encountered Nicodemus and engages in that conversation about the new birth. He reminds Nicodemus that there can be no new birth without the cross. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, it's not in religion. Nicodemus, it's not in ritual. Nicodemus, it's not in respectability. It's in the cross. The reason for the cross is that the Son of Man must be lifted up. There is no salvation tonight without sacrifice. And as we think of the Savior being lifted up, we think of the reason for the cross. We think of the revelation of the cross. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, he said in John 8 verse 28, then you will know that I am the one whom I claim to be. You know, of course, if you knew your Bible well enough that there were those who wanted to stone Jesus to death because of his revelation of who he was. His claims to deity incensed him to hatred. But it was through him being nailed to the cross that he became a spectacle for the world to see. It was then that he revealed himself as the Son of God when he pardoned the repentant dying thief and gave him the assurance of paradise. You see, it's only God who can forgive sin. But Jesus Christ is God, and therefore he forgives sin. And on the cross, he identified himself in that way, as he said to the dying thief, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. So as he's lifted up, we're reminded of the reason for the cross, the revelation of the cross, the reign of the cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. You see, in spite of all the philosophies of men, in spite of all the wisdom of men, in spite of all the earthly achievement of men, and man has achieved many wonderful, incredible things, in spite of all this, the cross and only the cross draws sinners to Christ for salvation. He says, if I be lifted up, Jesus thought of his death not as a failure or something that would, could have been avoided. He thought of it as an honor, his honor and privilege, as it represented him fulfilling the will of his Father in heaven. And although crucifixion was the Roman form of death meted out to malefactors, when he was nailed to the tree, he made it his throne from where he would reign, not only in the hearts of men, but reign as the conqueror of the Prince of Peace. You know, when I think of this tonight, my mind goes back 
to my early days as a young believer. And uh, we used to sing in a little group and go around mission halls and taking various meetings, testifying and singing gospel hymns. And I thought of that old hymn. I can't remember when I first sung it, but it comes to my mind tonight. There was no crown for him of silver or of gold. There was no diadem for him to hold, but blood adorned his brow. And proud at stains he bore, and sinners gave to him the crown he wore. A rugged cross became his throne. His kingdom was in hearts alone. He wrote his love in crimson red and wore the thorns upon his head. The passion of the cross. I, when I am lifted up. The literal meaning is, when I am lifted out of the earth. He was lifted up on the earth at his death. He was lifted out of the earth at his resurrection. He was lifted up from the earth at his ascension. The magnetism of the cross. Focusing our attention on the person on the cross. I, the passion of the cross. When I am lifted up, it focuses our attention on the reason for the cross, the revelation of the cross, the reign of the cross. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus talks here about the power of the cross. We have moved from the Christ of the cross to the Christ on the cross. And now we come to the Christ through the cross. You see, my dear friends, it's very important, it's crucial that we understand the cross tonight. For the only way a sinner can reach God is through the cross. We were reminded of that last Tuesday evening as we focused our attention on that great word, mediator. Where Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The very words of Christ himself, no man can come unto the Father except through me. The power of the cross is exclusive. There is no other truth that awakens men and women from a life of selfishness to a life of selflessness, from a life of sin to a life of service, than the truth of the cross. When we truly bow at the cross, when we come to Calvary, there is a realization that causes us to be mindful that this love, which is so amazing and so divine, demands nothing less than my soul, my life, my all. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle, who was steeped in all the riches and religion of Judaism, came to a time in his life where they understood that his acceptance before God depended not on what he could do or not on what he had done, but rather upon what Christ had done on the cross. And he reveled in the cross. It was the miracle in his life. It was the message on his lips. It was the motivation in his living. He said to the church of Galatia, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Isn't it amazing that multitudes can be moved at the suffering of men, moved to tears, moved to heartache, moved to pain? Some years ago, the following notice appeared in a daily newspaper. It read as follows. In memory of a lovely little lady who made the supreme sacrifice of motherhood, leaving sweet memories, but a broken-hearted hubby. It was a touching tribute that touched many hearts. Yet somehow or other, the vast majority of people are unresponsive to the supreme sacrifice of all time. A trash novel can move them to tears, but to their cold, dead hearts, Calvary, with all its suffering and horror and anguish, has no appeal. It's not a new thing. It's not a 21st century phenomenon. It was as old as the days of Jeremiah. Because we read these words, all you that pass by. The hymn puts it like this, to Jesus draw nigh. To you is it nothing that Jesus should die? Your ransom and peace, your surety he is. Come see if there ever was sorrow like his. The power of the cross is exclusive. There's no other means by which men and women and young people and boys and girls can get right with God. And the power of the cross is essential. Our text affirms that unless he is lifted up, he will not draw all men. Our text affirms that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher, in lecturing to his students in the preaching of the gospel, said this, No matter what text you preach from, make sure you make a line from it to the cross. There's no salvation without the cross tonight. There's no salvation without a realization that when Jesus died for sinners, Jesus died for me. There's no salvation tonight without realizing that the cross of Jesus Christ was absolutely essential to the salvation of dying men and women and young people and boys and girls. You see, if we were accepted through the works of the law, says Paul in his letter to the Galatians, then Christ died in vain. Are you going to believe tonight that Christ died in vain? Are you going to assert tonight that when Christ died on the cross, he died for something that was not necessary? That God has made a great mistake? Oh, Paul says, if righteousness were through the law, if righteousness came by what I could do or what I have done, then Christ died in vain. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men. The person on the cross, the passion of the cross, and the power of the cross. 
if you're converted tonight, if you're a child of God tonight, if you've been to the cross, I hope there's not a day that passes without you taking a moment to thank God for Calvary and for all that he accomplished for you. And if you've never been to the cross tonight, if you've never focused your gaze on that center cross, do it tonight. And realize as never before that when Jesus died for sinners, Jesus died for you. And that there's salvation in nothing else but Jesus Christ at his death on the cross. We thank God for his word tonight. We thank God for such a savior tonight and for so great a sacrifice that he offered for our sins and himself. May God bless his word and may it have his effect in our hearts and in our lives. We're going to